I want to welcome you to Mercy Culture this morning. My name is Les. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco, where we love God, we love people, and we love mercy. And the vision of this house is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And what that means is, as much as we uh, need and enjoy corporate worship, I mean, we need it. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling together uh, as some are, have grown accustomed to do, especially as the day of the Lord draweth nigh, especially as things get a little bit more crazy. How many of you can say this world is getting a little bit more crazy every day? Every morning I wake up and I don't know if I'm reading the Babylon Bee or the New York Times. It's like, can you come up? I don't know how you can continue to have uh, joke articles when the real articles are jokes. <laughs> it's like the world is losing its mind. But the Bible says not to forsake the assembling together of brethren because the Bible knows and the Lord knows that we need each other to thrive and to be strengthened. But beyond that, we need a personal relationship and a personal encounter with the Lord. And I want to tell you from experience, I've been serving the Lord for a long time. And I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was seven years old. And I've been serving Jesus a lot. And there were times when I was serving him strongly. And there were seasons in my life where I really struggled. And, and my foundation was so weak. And, and I was struggling in my relationship with him. And I can always tie it back to a lack of daily encounters with God. can always tie it back to, that, to the losing of that uh, discipline of connecting with the Lord in my own personal encounter. And I grew up in church. I grew up in a spirit-filled church. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. So some of y'all grew up spirit-filled and we weren't, we were, we were old, like I'm a Texan and you know, it just is what it is. And, but we had to come to church all the time. Sunday morning, Sunday night, choir rehearsal, prayer meeting, Wednesday night service, Revival service, come to church, come to church, come to church. And we had the idea that that is how you built a relationship with the Lord. But these corporate encounters are to augment, to help your relationship with God. It's not to circumvent or to take the place of a personal relationship with the Lord. And that is the purpose of Mercy Culture Church. Because we know that if you can encounter God and you can hear the voice of the Lord and you can have the faith to do what he tells you to do, you can't fail. All the discipleship in the world cannot help you as much as a moment in the presence of the Lord. And the way that we disciple people is we disciple them into daily encounters. If you meet with one of our pastors, one of our leaders, and you come to them with a question or a problem, I can guarantee you the first question they're going to ask you is, how are your daily encounters? And then they're going to say, have you asked the Lord? It gets frustrating sometimes, doesn't it? Some of y'all nodding your head. Like, what should I do about this job? Well, have you asked the Lord? I knew you were going to say that. Go ask the Lord, because he's smarter than me. He's smarter than you. And so we ask the Lord everything. The Bible says pray about everything. And so we want to help you to discover how you best connect with God, because we know that there is only one way to the Lord, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. But in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. And so I, it, we can fall into a religious ritual where we think that there's only one way that we can connect with the Lord. And sometimes that spirit of religion will actually make us feel guilty for connecting with God in other ways. 
I want to release you of that today. Some of you connect with the Lord when you exercise. Some of you connect with God when you're out working in the line. Some of you connect with God when you're painting or doing something artistic. And some of you when you're studying the word. And some of you in worship. And some of you when you're alone. But there are ways that you can connect with the Lord. We want to help you to discover the way that you best connect with God and then disciple you into daily encounters with the Lord. And we do that through a process that we call MC Connect. MC Connect is the first step in joining Mercy Culture Church, becoming connected with this house, beginning to serve in the church, learning about the culture of our church. But most importantly, it's the way that we disciple you into a daily personal encounter and relationship with God. If you want more information with, about that, text the word CONNECT to 59090 and you get all of that information sent back to you. This Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m., somebody say 6.30. 6.30 comes early. Wednesday morning, 6.30 a.m., we'll be meeting for morning prayer right here. Once a month, we pray. Yeah. Well, we pray more than once a month. Let me say that. Once a month, we pray together at 6.30 on Wednesday mornings. And we have seen incredible powerful moves of the Lord. I'm going to share some testimony of some things that we've seen through prayer in the tent on Wednesday mornings in my message today, but we would love for you to join us this Wednesday. If you're new here, you can text the word new to 59090. We're not going to bother you. We just like to send you some information, get some information about you. And then if you'd like my notes this morning, text the word notes to that same number 59090 and everything that's in front of me will be sent to you. Let's go to the word. You ready? All right, let's turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. This is the story of King Solomon dedicating the temple to the Lord. You have to understand that for, for many, many years, there was no house of God. There was no place for the presence of the Lord to dwell. The presence of God dwelled in a tent. And Solomon's father, David, had cried out to the Lord and said, I am living in a palace made of wood and stone, yet my God is living in a tent, and we need to create a place for you. And the Lord said, I'm not going to let you build my temple, but I'm going to give it to your legacy and to your son. And we see this. We see Solomon dedicating the temple here beginning at the, at the beginning of chapter 7. He says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. In other words, God's presence was so heavy in the temple of God that the ministers could not stand to minister. They couldn't even enter into the house of the Lord because his presence was so thick. And verse 3 says, When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is an amazing scene that we're looking at here. We see the children of Israel who have been a people without a home. They've been a people who were raised in slavery, whom God delivered. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, carrying the presence of the Lord with them, moving from place to place in a tent. I can relate. Welcome to the tent. 
We are remodeling that building right outside of those doors, and we'll be in it very soon. Keep praying with us as we go through that process, but we're making great strides. But they were carrying the house of God with them everywhere that they went, and they finally got a home, and they entered into the promised land, and they began to build this society. And and finally, after hundreds of years, they were able to build the temple of God. What a momentous day. We've been in this tent for a year. Imagine four or five hundred years. <laughs> Some days it feels like it's been four or five hundred years. But finally, they were able to, to dedicate a house unto the Lord. And God's presence fell in such a way that they couldn't even enter into the room. Imagine seeing fire fall from heaven. And the glory of God filled the room so deeply and with such weight that you could see his presence. You see, we think that sometimes that the presence of the Lord is some cuddly, fun, light-hearted thing. But no, when the children of Israel saw the presence of God fall in this way, the Bible says that they fell to their face. And to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord. The presence of God took their breath away from them. They couldn't even stand in his presence. They began to cry out to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And verse 4 says, then the king and all the people sacrificed before the Lord. King Solomon offered as a sacrifice 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their post. The Levites also with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord. For his steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered praises by their ministry, opposite them the priests sounded trumpets and all Israel stood. And Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. And there he offered the burnt offering and the fat of the peace offering because the bronze altar Solomon had made could not hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. And we'll jump down to verse 12. The Lord appeared to him at night and said to him, to Solomon, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a plague among my people, and if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal, hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. You see, it's interesting how God describes his house. God describes his house as a house of sacrifice. He describes his temple as a place of prayer. He describes the house of the Lord as a place where people are to humble themselves. A place for people to seek the face of God in prayer. A place for people to turn from their wicked ways, to seek after righteousness. And he says, then... I will hear from heaven and then I will forgive their sin and then I will heal their land. 
The title of my message this morning is House of Glory. About a year ago, actually it was in December, December 9th, I looked it up. Pastor Matt and Pastor Maggie, who are here with us this morning from our Fort Worth campus. Wait, 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 don't, don't clap yet. Pastor Matt and Pastor Maggie Wakefield are two of our best friends, and they are two of the most impactful, powerful, righteous, courageous leaders in the body of Christ that I know. They lead our spiritual leadership school. They oversee so many different aspects in ministry. And they're beyond all of that, they're true Christians. Incredible and righteous and powerful people. And honor is a value in this house. I want us to stand on our feet and just honor Pastor Matt and Pastor Maggie this morning. All right, you can sit down. Don't, don't do too much. Pastor Matt's getting a big head up here. Just kidding. But Pastor Matt sent me a text message in, in December, December 9th of last year. And he said, I've been praying. If you don't know, Pastor Matt is a prophet. I don't mean he has a prophetic gift. I mean, he operates in the office of prophet. He's a prophet to the nations. And he sent me this, this text, and he said, I've been praying for Mercy Culture Waco, and the Lord says that Mercy Culture Waco will go from a tent of meeting to a house of glory in 2023. And if you've been coming to Mercy Culture long, you know this story because I've told it many times, and we've been, we've been stewarding this prophetic word over this house that we would go from a tent of meeting to a house of glory. And we have so enjoyed and appreciated the beautiful presence of God that we've experienced in this tent. And some of us have even said things like, man, I'm really going to miss the tent and all the presence that's in the tent. And this, this word from the Lord that Pastor Matt delivered was such an encouragement to us to tell us, hey, you're not leaving anything behind. You're going into greater glory. So I've been praying and crying out to the Lord as many of us have. God, Pour out your presence and your glory like you did in 2 Chronicles, where the glory of the Lord fills the temple in such a way that the ministers cannot even stand to minister, that the people of God fall to their face and, and cry out to the Lord, holy, holy, holy. Your steadfast love endures forever. You see, when you come face to face with the presence of the Lord, all of your problems and your complaints and your issues seem to go away in an instant and you are filled with gratitude. Even when your flesh may not see what you even have to be grateful for in the moment, the presence of God changes everything. We've been crying out for his presence to be poured out among us like this. And I was preparing for this message and the Lord, I was going in a different direction. The Lord asked me, he said, do you really want a house of glory? I said, uh-oh. Because if you've ever had the Lord ask you a question like that, it means there's more to it than just show. Glory! Woo! I feel it. We used to go to a church many years ago. There's this woman, she'd go, Woohoo, party! Uh, 
Jesus, woo, party. We'd be like, okay, well, it's more to it than that. You see, you don't play around with the glory of God. The glory of God didn't fall in the temple and the children of Israel go, wow, it's the glory. Let's just, let me come in with my sin. Let me come in with my idols. Let me come in with the things that I've exalted above him. No, no, you don't play around with the glory of God. The glory of God makes you fall to your face. When Jesus, when when God described his house, he didn't say that this would be a house where you'd come in and believe for your new Mercedes. He didn't say that this would be a house where you come in and the preacher give you five points to live in your best life. He didn't say that this would be a house, I'm going to build a house of lights, camera, action. No, no. He said this is a house of prayer. So this is a house of righteousness. This is a house where you're humbled. This is a house where you turn from your wicked ways. This is a house where you seek my face and you pray, and then I will heal your land. But we don't, we don't want church like that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not here to tell you, to, to judge you or to point a finger at you. Listen to me. I'm speaking and preaching to myself. Remember, God asked me that question. Do you really want a house of glory? Do you really want a place that you humble yourself? Do you really want to lean into the prophetic word of this year, the word of the Lord over this house for 2023 is the word dunamis, the power to strengthen and fortify. Anything that can be shaken in our lives this year has been shaken. God said, I'm going to give you dunamis power. And we said, yes. He said, I'm going to give you this power to strengthen and fortify. We said, yes. And he goes, here's all the weak spots in your life. And we said, wait. Where's all that power? I wanted power. I wanted to be laying hands on the sick and power to get that new house and power to do this. He said, wait, wait, wait. You first, we're going to strengthen and fortify. And in order to strengthen and fortify, he had to reveal the places that needed to be strengthened. He had to show us where in our foundation there was weakness And just this last week, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Les, you're halfway there. Ah, come on. It's June. We've entered into the sixth month of the year of dunamis. And I feel in my spirit that there's a shifting in this month. I feel in my spirit that we're shifting from this season that's been, it's been easy in his presence but it's been challenging. And we've seen and we've felt and we've experienced that the challenge of all of the weak places being revealed to us, but I feel the Lord say, I'm shifting into a season of great joy. And I've been strengthening and fortifying you and, I, and there's a new wave, a new round of strength and fortification, but I feel that with that new round, waves of joy are coming with it. And I want us to lean in, church, because in this next half of the year, God is strengthening and fortifying the finer details of our lives. It's the finished work. 
It's the finer details because he wants the power of the Lord to go from on us to in us, but then through us. It's not enough for the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit to be on us. It's not even enough for it to just be in us, but his power must operate through us. We must be a house that sees the sick healed. We must be a house that see the dead raised. I know some, some of y'all are like, wait, what? The dead raised? Yes. We must be a house that see the dead raised. And the physically dead, the spiritually dead. Dead marriages, dead hopes, dead dreams. Dead relationships with the Lord raised back to life. We must be a house where the lepers are cleansed. We must be a house where demons are cast out. Where people are set free and delivered. We must be a house of glory. Mark chapter 21 verse 8. We see, we see Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus, this is coming to the end of his earthly ministry. And Jesus has gone from city to city and place to place. And we have seen him perform great and mighty miracles all around the nation of Israel. And he has healed people and people have been risen from the dead. and Blinded eyes have been opened and deaf ears have been opened and the lame walk. And he's forgiven people of their sins and he's caused great controversy. And he's challenged the spirits of religion. And people began to gather around. There's a great crowd that gathers to welcome him into Jerusalem. In verse 8, it says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. What a beautiful scene. Our King Jesus is triumphantly marching into the city that he loves. This is his father's city. This is Jerusalem, the city of God, the city that he has fasted and prayed for, the city that he stood on the cliffside and and his heart broke and bled for the people of Jerusalem. And here he is being ushered in on the back of a donkey to the praises of the people of Jerusalem. They are shouting and they are praising him. You see, these people, they loved the Jesus that they had created in their image. They loved the Jesus that was the Jesus of peace. The Jesus that would meet all of their needs. The Jesus that would heal their sick. The Jesus that preached about love and peace. And this is the Jesus that they had created in their image. I believe that this story of Jesus being ushered into the praises of a people is a great mirror of the season that we're living in now in the modern church. We have a modern church that sings Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest until you get to the next verse. 
The very next portion of scripture, Jesus marches into the temple of God. He marches into the church and he starts flipping tables. And all of the sudden, the very same people that were screaming and shouting and laying their cloaks and waving palm branches and worshiping and dancing and glory to God in the highest. You're so amazing. The same people said, how can we kill this man? Verse 12, it says, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons he said to them it is written my house shall be called what a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers you need to understand this story is not about buying and selling things because I, I don't if you're going to email me about t-shirts for sale on the foyer just save your breath don't email me because people think that that's what this is about. Oh, you, Jesus flipped tables for buying and selling, and you sell T-shirts in the foyer of your church. If Jesus were here today, he'd be flipping your tables. Let me tell you something. That's not what this is about. That's not what this story is about. You need to understand, I'll give you some historical context. At this time, the way in which the people of Israel, the children of Israel, received salvation and redemption and righteousness was through the blood sacrifice of animals. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. And Jesus came and gave his life and sacrificed and spilled his blood to cover our sins once and for all. But until that moment, it was animal sacrifice. That was the system that God had laid out. And so the children of Israel came to the temple of God from all over for various reasons to fulfill the sacrificial requirements that they had in the Old Testament. And they would come and they would bring their sacrifices to lay before the altar of God. And then there were some people that said, hey, I think there's a way to make money on this whole sacrifice thing. And what about people who, who maybe their, donk, their, their, their lamb that they were going to bring to sacrifice, maybe that lamb was lame on the way from the journey from their hometown to here. And you can't sacrifice a lame lamb. Well, you're in luck. We happen to have a lamb for you right here. It's only $9.99. And then they would say things like, and you may not be able to afford it, but I'll tell you what, we'll actually finance this lamb for you. We'll let you pay it out in 12 easy payments of $89.99. And what was happening was people were taking advantage of the poor taking advantage of those who were just seeking righteousness and they were selling to them a false righteousness. They were selling them a false sacrifice. They trafficked in false righteousness. You see, this is the society that we live in today. We have churches. We have culture that has set up tables, they've said, we will sell you the sacrifice to make you righteous. You're in luck. We've got all of the things that you need to cover your sin and your shame and your guilt. You see, we think that we live in a non-religious society. Let me tell you something. There's no such thing as a people without religion. The question is, will it be Bible-based or something else? 
You see, the culture is that we are in today is not the absence of religion. It is the replacement of biblical religion with a pagan religion. It is, we have turned to affirmation of the flesh over affliction of the flesh. You see, Jesus says to afflict your flesh. Jesus says to pick up your cross every day. Jesus says to take on the mind of Christ, to die to yourself every day. But no, no, we live in a society today that says you don't want that sacrifice. I've got a better one for you. Set these tables up and here you go. You can affirm your sexual temptations. What you are tempted by defines who you are. Look at this label I will sell to you to make you righteous. We live in a society today that is selling empathy over compassion. I see it all over the, from believers. We need to be more empathetic. We need more empathy. We need more empathy. We are a society driven by empathy. Listen, compassion is driven by wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And empathy is driven by emotion and the fear of man. And we are an empathetic people that has gone to the tables set up in the house of God. And we have purchased empathy as our false sacrifice. We said, look, compassion is too complicated. Compassion is too difficult. I want empathy because empathy is morally neutral. Empathy looks at a snapshot in time and says, my heart feels for another person. So I'm going to be led by my heart into that feeling while compassion must hold both wisdom and mercy together. See, empathy is easy. Compassion looks through the long-term eyes of wisdom. Empathy says, I'm going to tell you what makes you feel good. And compassion says, I'm going to tell you what will do good. So we have set up a false idea of what it means to love other people. Because the fact that God wants us to be good is boring to a lot of believers. Not just to the world, but to believers. Micah 6.8 lays it out for us. He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? But that is boring to a lot of people. I don't just want to do good. I've got to do something else. I've got to, I've got to have some cause to fight for. We are fighting fake evils. You know, people talk about evil as being dark, and I know that it is, and that's the imagery that I have. But I think often evil is not just dark. It is so bright that we can't stand to look at it. burns with such intensity that we don't even want to look at evil. So when we stop fighting real evils, we begin to fight fake evils. That's why you see laws like in the state of California that was passed this last week banning Skittles. <laughs> because it has red dye, number 17, whatever it is. Why? Now, I'm not telling you to eat red dye, number 17. Please, don't, again, don't send me an email. 
Have you heard of doTERRA? We'll get you some young living. Don't send me an email. But eating Skittle with red dye number 14 is not exactly evil. But we have picked up these fake evils to fight. It's why we fight fake evils like climate change. I'm not telling you climate change isn't real. I'm telling you this is not a moral evil that we're fighting. It's why we, fake, we fight fake evils like microaggressions. We've had to create new terms in academia to find something to fight. You didn't even know you were being hateful. It's subconscious. We got to fight fake evils. You see, our fake sacrifices will fill us with self-righteousness. The problem is, is when you're filled up with self-righteousness, there's no room for actual righteousness. And we have purchased these false sacrifices and we have fought these fake battles and we are as a people filled with self-righteousness and we, tar- we, we drift further and further from true righteousness every day. We're not progressing into a post-Christian society, actually. We are regressing into a pre-Christian society. We hear people pontificate all the time about America becoming a post-Christian nation. I would argue that we're actually becoming pre-Christian. We are regressing into paganism. You see, we judge the past for their false gods, but we have more false gods than they ever had. We have the false god of health. We stood up in 2020, the people of God, churches, pastors, and ministers around the nation and around the world stood up and bowed down to the false God of health, said we will shut down our churches indefinitely, some for years at a time. We will disobey the word of God so that we may worship the God of health. We bow down to the false God of religion. We bow down to the false god of politics. Family, mercy culture, listen to me. Listen to your pastor. Our identity cannot be, I'm not woke. Our identity has to be, I'm like Christ. We have bowed down to the false god of excitement. We have this idea that we must always be stimulated. That if you're not excited, if you're not stimulated, if there's not a screen and smoke machines and laser lights and loud music, and if if there's not something that's stimulating you and it's not fun for you, then we don't have to do it. It's a false God. In the church, we have bowed down to the false God of crowds. We stopped asking what's God doing and we started asking how many you run in. We have bowed down in 2023 to the false God of love. We have built love in our own image. We have created a love and said, this is 1 Corinthians. And we've thrown away the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is not proud. We have a whole month in June called Pride Month. And the tagline is love is love. No, no, baby. That's not love. Love is not proud. The Bible defines love. Love is a thing. 
It has a definition. It's not a fleeting emotion or feeling. It is defined by the word of God. But we have decided within ourselves that if it feels good, it is good. We have lifted up the false God of nice over kindness. We have confused niceness as a fruit of the spirit. The Bible says to be kind. You see, niceness is to please others. And I like nice people. I'm not telling you not to be nice. I hope I'm nice. When, somebody, when I open the door for somebody at HEB, I want them to say thank you. You ever hold the door open for somebody and they just walk through like this? You just want to take your shoe off and just... You're welcome! I guess that's just... It's just me. <laughs> Crucify my flesh, Lord. Not, not like that just happened or anything. Um, but niceness is orientated to pleasing others, and kindness is orientated to helping others. Nice is the false god of modern America. We've become so nice in our churches, we've become cruel. We set by and we, we set up a little roadside stand and we're giving out fruits and vegetables and water as people are driving their cars by. Stop, stop. Let me give you some water. Let me fill up your tank with gas. Let me wash your windshield. Let me check your tire pressures. And then we send them to drive off a cliff. We say it's real nice to clean it up and to fix up your car and to make it look nice. And we paved this road. It's beautiful. There's no more potholes. We're holding signs. We're supporting you. You keep going. Be you. We're affirming. We put Black Lives Matter on the side of our building. Look at us. We're selling you a false sacrifice. We're being so nice as they careem off of a cliff instead of kindness. Kindness will throw a wrench in the, in the engine. Kindness will put potholes in the ground. Kindness will put up strips to pop their tires. Kindness will stand in the road and say, please stop. The road is out ahead. Please stop. There's a better way. I know that wide is the gate that leads to destruction. It's luxurious. It's beautiful. It's tree-lined. It's landscaped. It's smooth. It's comfortable. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And those that find it are few. We have stood up in our pulpits and we have preached people that the way to heaven is the pathway of comfort. When the entire New Testament is a manual on how to withstand persecution. We've been so nice, we've been cruel. And this is nothing new. Then Isaiah 56, verse 10 says, Israel's watchmen are blind. They are oblivious. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They are dreamers lying around, loving to slumber. Like ravenous dogs, they're never satisfied. They're shepherds with no discernment. They all turn to their own way, each one seeking his own gain. If this doesn't describe so many believers today, 
They say, come, let me get wine. Let us imbibe the strong drink. And tomorrow will be like today, only far better. We have lulled the church of Jesus Christ to sleep. Into thinking, drink and be merry. Tomorrow will be like today. It's never going to get bad. He just, everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be beautiful, only far better. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 1 says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord and proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all ye people of Judah who enter through these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Correct your ways and deeds and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words chanting, This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. He said, don't lull yourself to sleep, church. Dancing into the house of God. This is the temple of the Lord. For if you really correct your ways and deeds, if you act justly toward one another, if you no longer oppress the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow, and if you no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Verse 8, but look, you keep trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and father follow other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say we are delivered so we can continue with all these abominations. Folks, this isn't the message I want to preach. I go before the Lord. I say, Lord, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the one that when I walk into the room with other pastors, they go, we follow you on Instagram. I don't want to deal with this. Lord, my flesh gets stirred up, and I I ask the Lord questions like, is this how you build a church? And, And I believe in the blessing of the Lord. I believe that he wants us. To be blessed. I believe that there's favor of God that comes through obedience. I live a beautiful life. We're happy. We love our life. I'm not telling you that that's not what the Lord wants from you, but I'm telling you we can no longer stand in the doorway of the temple of God and say, continue to worship your abominations. Choose from this table whatever sacrifice that pleases you today. We've got a range of options for you. Verse 11 says, Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers in your sight? Yes, I too have seen it, declares the Lord. This is the cry I hear in my spirit. The Lord is saying, I have seen it. Chris, would you come up? I hear the Lord saying, I've seen it. At the end of 2019, I was praying I was asking the Lord what he was speaking over us. I'm sorry, it was the end of 2018. End of 2018. Saying, Lord, what's the word? What's the word of the year? The Lord said to me, 2019 will be a year of joy. Some of you were in the room, Whitney and Nikki and a few others. I delivered this word. I said, the Lord says 2019 will be the year of joy. And he said to me, because in 2020, the joy of the Lord will need to be your strength. And I thought it was political and thought there'd be riots and who knows. 
I had no idea there'd be a global pandemic. I'm not, I'm, I wasn't that clear. I didn't know all of this stuff would happen. And I'm telling you this because I have, uh, I have the same feeling in my spirit. I have that same sense of urgency. And I feel the Lord saying, I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen what my people have become. I've seen the abominations. I've seen them burn incense before Baal. I've seen this nation that I've favored fall into child sacrifice, lay at the altar of Baal millions of babies. And I've watched the church not only be silent, but tell their people to shut up when they try to stand up for righteousness. hear the Lord say will you look for more people before you look for my pleasure will you try to please them or will you please me but you can't do both in the Bible when the prophets rejoice the people weep when the prophets weep the people are rejoicing Mercy culture, do we want to be a house of glory? I mean, truly. Not a house where we come in and we, we look nice and we walk into the foyer and we go, what sacrifice am I going to choose today? What's the thing that's going to make me look the most righteous but not cost me anything? What cause can I pick up and wear that will cover my sin, I think? And, but really, it, it leaves all the hidden stuff in place because I don't want to deal with all of that. I, I just want to pick up that thing that's going to make me feel righteous. I want them to preach to me the stuff I want to hear. I don't like how the worship team looks at the wall and, and stands over in a corner. I want them to look at me. I want to be entertained. I want them to draw me in. I, I don't... I want you to skip over all those scriptures. you to skip over Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, he said, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part, to depart and be with Christ for that is far better, but we've fallen more in love with this world than we've fallen in love with Jesus. 
When's the last time we, we knelt down to the Lord and said, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come back, Jesus. It's the last time we longed to be with him. When's the last time we said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but we have held on to this life with white knuckles. Verse 27, he said, Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This is the, this is the New Testament. It's Jesus. It's the apostles. It's, it's God showing us what it looks like to follow him. He says, you will be persecuted. Listen, I love you. I love this house. I want this place. I want that building to be filled to the brim with people encountering the Lord and their lives changed. But I will not stand up here and lie to you to fill those seats because I've got to stand before the Lord. And he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Or he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your just reward. And when we experience persecution, I don't want you coming to me and saying, pastor, why didn't you tell us? Why does the only thing you did is preach messages that rhyme, play movies, have little characters, make us feel good? Why didn't you tell us? Family, this morning, the Lord wants to flip some of our tables. Jesus wants to, to wipe the false sacrifices off the tables. I want every eye closed, every head bowed. He told me to tell you this morning that suffering and joy are in the same cup. Will you take a drink? Isaiah 56 verse 7 says, I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Thus declares the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather 
to them still others besides those already gathered. In the midst of all of it, he wants to make us joyful. We can't have a house of glory without a house of prayer. We can't have a house of glory and play games with God. We can't only worship the sweet, calm, snuggly Jesus. We have to worship the Jesus that carries a sword in his hand. We can't only love the Jesus of Bethlehem. He said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We have to love the Jesus that stood up and said, I've not come to bring peace, but I come with the sword. It's the same man. Joy and suffering are in the same cup. Jesus, we won't pick and choose. Come on, just begin to pray. Tell him, Jesus, we won't pick and choose. Jesus, we refuse to pick and choose. God, we want it all. We want all of you. We want all of you. We want all of you. Jesus, we'll drink from the cup of suffering. Jesus, we want the dunamis power. We want your power. We want your glory. Lord, we won't reject the difficulty. We we won't reject the the conviction. We want you. 